From InsureTech Ireland, this is InsureTech Radio, episode 37, with Ron Glosman of Chisel AI. Hello, I'm Connor Sweetman, and you're listening to InsureTech Radio, the podcast that teaches you about how technology is transforming insurance and about the people making it happen. There's, there's seven types of artificial intelligence, so I talked about them, and I talked about the app and how we teach it really how to read textbooks. And I got an email about five minutes after I get off stage, and uh, it says, hey, I know this is an app for students, but... I think insurance can really benefit. Do you have five minutes to chat? My guest this week is Ron Glosman, CEO and founder of Chisel AI. We speak about how Ron founded the business in his dorm room at college, how Chisel AI can instantly read and check complex documents, and why you should educate yourself on artificial intelligence. Please enjoy. Ron, you're very welcome to InsureTech Radio. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I, I was I was hoping we could start uh, by talking about something that I saw on your LinkedIn page that intrigued me, and that was your what you have down as your first job, which is a, a music-related startup. Can you tell me a bit, a bit about that? So, wow, you went deep. I, I love yeah. it. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question. So, yeah, I mean, I, I loved I loved music, and I remember the statistic. When I looked it up in, like, I think it was, like, 2009, something like 95% of all music downloads on the internet were pirated. So that's 19 out of 20. Um, and the industry was still worth billions. And so my hypothesis was, you know, the industry is technically, like, 19, 20 times bigger than what you see on paper because of pirates. And my thinking was, imagine people could stream music for free and listen to ads. And nowadays, we probably call that Spotify. But (laughs) at that time, and Spotify actually did start in 2009, 2008, but it was right around the time I was working on this idea. I I got it to like a small point, but I was in high school at the time. So I didn't quite have the resources that Spotify did. And was, uh, was your idea, did you think about a business model at that stage? Or were you just kind of thinking of a service? No, for sure. Like I knew about Google AdWords. I did the math. I knew, you know, CPM, which is how many sort of dollars you generate per thousand views um, or listens. And so I did all the math. I, I raised a little bit of, of investment capital um, and basically ran it at break even. So it was it a good learning experience for sure. It wasn't a monetarily profitable, but it was a good learning experience. Yeah. So you were in high school. So like, were you all, did you always have this kind of entrepreneurial streak in you? I I'm definitely a problem solver. I think there's it's interesting because I think there's there's two types of things. I think you know there's a lot of people who may be problem solvers, but there's only a subset who can also execute on it. And I think that's probably the big differentiator. But for sure, like I, I love solving problems, um, different types of problems. I've always been intrigued by you know, physics and like just literally anything you can, you can give me. I'm intrigued by the concepts of trying to see if I can overcome it. So, um, I have always sort of had that entrepreneurial spirit, but I never did it, especially at that time, like for the money, it was more just about seeing if I could do it. Yeah. The challenge of it. Mm -hmm. And what was what was the the first iteration of Chisel AI? I'm kind of broadly familiar with the story, but I didn't want to get into it too much before speaking to you. So you founded the company in your dorm room, is that right? 
<laughs> yes. Uh, to solve been- a particular problem for, for college students. You got it. It has one time. One time, it was phrased as uh, "dorm room to boardroom." Oh, nice! <laughs> and uh, yeah, essentially, the concept was: I was a student at the time studying computer science and business, and it was, you know, not a double degree, so not a double major, but a double degree from two different universities. And for those of you know familiar with Harry Potter, it's sort of like when Hermione had to split herself in two to attend the class simultaneously. Um, there were never actually overlapping classes, but classes could be 10 minutes apart across town in two different universities. So it was, it was pretty crazy. Um, and so I said to myself, there has to be a better way to study. It just doesn't make sense because a textbook is like a thousand pages and the final exam is maybe 10 or 20. And so I said, <laughs> what if I could create a summary? Because that's what I did. I would read each chapter manually and I would create a summary. And then at exam season, I would go back and study from the summary. Because um, mm. reading the textbook again just, you know, it doesn't make sense. You don't need all of that information. So I said, what if I could circumvent or, or make it shorter by just having a computer read that textbook for me and create a summary, which sounds a, a little bit crazy. But, you know, being a computer science student, I, I had a, an idea, an inkling of a thought of how to do it. And so I set that out to do that. And I spent a, a semester working on it. And I got it to the point where, you know, I could basically not go to class, spend all day you know, playing video games or do whatever I wanted to do with that I enjoyed and still get A's and keep up my scholarship, which is obviously the most important thing. And so my friends noticed and they're like, it's impossible. How do you do it? I told them about my app, um, ended up putting it up on the app store and ended up going viral. 33 countries, 44 universities, actually, inc- including Ireland. Um, I remember surprised. that distinctly. <laughs> Ireland, because well, it was in English. So, you know, there's not that many. Oh, yeah. English-speaking countries in the world. 33 is probably the majority of them. Um, and so it was quite successful, but as as you probably know, students don't have discretionary income. And so um, I, I worked on it as a hobby for a long time, about two years. And eventually, just to you know, shorten, shorten the story a little bit, I, I ended up meeting somebody from the insurance industry who said, hey, I think this can really benefit the industry. They advised me on some of the problems in the industry, educated me on it. Um, and so I, I became somewhat of an expert now on an, on the insurance industry. My background is primarily artificial intelligence, though. Um, and uh, Chisel now is is one of the main providers of our intellig- artificial intelligence solutions to the insurance industry, specifically in the commercial side, less so on like, you know, personal home and auto, more on commercial auto and commercial property and just commercial in general. Cool. Uh, I feel we, we kind of skipped a, a few steps there. Who was that person and how did they guide you? Yeah, so in this was about two years after I started working on on the idea, I was invited. So you're still by, in college at this stage. Still in college, correct? I was invited by RBC, which is the Royal Bank of Canada, uh, to their first ever machine learning conference, and they wanted me specifically to come for a, a one hour panel and do an FAQ style, basically, you know, talk a little bit, present some thoughts, and then take. A, take questions from the audience about artificial intelligence, specifically natural language processing, which is a how type did, of artificial How did you end up getting that, that gig? Like, were they just asking students or did you have to apply for it? Or? So I had taken a leave of absence from university. I was selected as one of 36 people. Um, in Canada, they have this program. It's a not-for-profit 
Now it's called Next Canada. Every year they want to choose 36 people who they think are, you know, worthwhile to invest in. Let's put it that way. Mm. And uh, they're typically college students or people who graduated within the last year. Um, and so I was selected as one of those people. And so I, I went on a leave of absence. I was no longer a student. I was participating in this program. And... Mm. Uh, RBC was one of the sponsors for this program. And so through that process, I was selected as, you know, one of the companies working on artificial intelligence related to the financial or not even related to financial services at the time, but just as a company working on artificial intelligence and somebody who you knew, who knew a little bit about it. Um, cool. they invited me. Cool. So what was your talk about? It was really about the different types of artificial intelligence. There's there's seven types of artificial intelligence. So I talked about them and I talked about the app and how we teach it really how to read textbooks. And I got an email about five minutes after I get off stage <laughs> and uh, it says, hey, I know this is an app for students, but I think insurance can really benefit. Do you have five minutes to chat? Um, and it ended up coming from one of the three biggest brokers in the world. You know, I did some research and, and I quick came to find that out. I ended up meeting with a senior VP. She educated me about their problem specifically, which was policy check and just checking for errors and omissions. And, uh, eventually we got to the point where they paid me for a pilot. And uh, I took the technology and pivoted from teaching it how to read textbooks to teaching it how to read policies and binders. Um, and since then, we've you know gone much broader than that, and we can do a lot more. But that was the starting point. Cool. And then let me let's uh, chat about uh, the technology itself. So, like, can you talk me through some of the applications of it? Yeah. So we specifically, and my area of expertise is is on today two areas. Although we've identified a couple others that that we are working on that I will leave out um, for today. Although I might you know just briefly touch on if you'd like me to very high level. Um, but specifically, the ones I can speak to are our policy check, the first one, and that one is primarily meant for brokers. Although there are some carriers that we are talking with and that I have spoken with that are interested in this, and it really comes down to contract certainty, reducing risks. Um, I, I get like a daily email, um, and and some of this like analyst calls recently from public companies like Marsh, Aon. Um, and one one other broker are they're all experiencing higher amounts of claims against them and their carriers related to ENO and especially pandemic coverage, right? And so, and 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 that is obviously very recent, but this problem has been around for many years, and it's because um, oftentimes the binder and the initial policy have mismatches. The final policy that gets delivered to the customer might have them all worked out, hopefully, not always. But along the process, there's a lot of back and forth emails between the broker and the, carry, uh, and the carrier. And so what we've done is we've taught a computer how to read the binder or the quote or the expired policy or some type of quote unquote reference document that tells you the, the terms of the contract and then the policy, uh, and basically highlights any differences such as missing endorsements, incorrect limits, premium shortfalls, um, you know, exclusions that weren't supposed to be there. Um, and you can really customize it based on what we call a checklist. 
to really, you know, based on things for auto, you might want to make sure that there's a different type of limit associated with an each occurrence uh, versus a company that really looks at a property. They might want to look at like shrubbery and like sewer and flood and a hurricane and earthquake and all of those different things. So you can customize it. But the principle is let's make sure that there's contract certainty because at the end of the day, those lawsuits are unfortunate for the brokers. It's unfortunate for the carrier. And really, the policyholder isn't happy, I would say, to bring those. Um, and it's just a way to reduce a lot of overhead that today is taking away from providing value-added service. Because I, I believe the value of a broker, having spoken with many of the senior leadership, is really their experience and their knowledge. And doing this fact-checking sort of data entry work isn't value-added work. It doesn't really differentiate them. And when you're talking to clients, do you speak to them in terms of, say, manners that they'll save, or are you speaking to it more in terms of managing their E&O risk? Or, yeah, what are they thinking of when they, when they pay for your product? Yeah, so... I don't think they're thinking about it in terms of man hours because today they're only checking and I can't give specifics, but some companies check literally nothing because um, you're actually required typically if, if, you know, depending on the jurisdiction you're in, this might vary, but typically you're required to have ENO insurance as a broker. And so they anyways pay the premium and obviously like the premium will increase if, if they file claims, but mm. some brokers literally check 0%. And in my experience, having worked with some of the biggest companies, they are only able to check at best, like less than 50% of the policies. And so that's, that, that is very unfortunate. So to them, it's, it's terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> that's terrifying. Exactly. And so I don't, I don't really think it's not, a, they're not like looking to replace those people by any mm. means. They're not going to let them go. Like those people have enough work that they can take this off their plate and, and still keep those people fully employed and still be backlogged. That's how crazy it is. And uh, what have you thought of any other applications like sticking with insurance other than policy check? Uh, how else have you uh, been applying uh, your technology? Yeah. So the other one that's actually, you know, we're working on today and is available and we're happy to chat with people if they want to reach out to us, um, is submission intake. And this one specifically works with, you know, the carrier, um, and, and pre-coverage. So as, as you know, and, and people will know, and there is some different language, but a submission or an application is just, you know, coming in either through a portal or through an email, sometimes still a fax, which is not ideal. But uh, and and it contains several pieces of information. Sometimes, at least you know, let's say traditionally, in a modern world, it's an email. So there's an email body. There's an attachment with some type of you know application. It could be a Word or PDF document. Ideally, some type of loss history document and some type of statement of values or schedule of vehicles or jewelry list, as you mentioned for your pro for your you know your wife's jewelry. Um, and so you need to then take all of that information and do a couple of things. In our experience, this is the path. the The first thing is. Uh, decline any business that doesn't meet your underwriting principles set forth by you know the head underwriter chief underwriting officer takes that would save a lot of time sorry <laughs> that would save a lot of time if that was been able to to you know if you have to spend you know a couple of hours evaluating a risk only to decline it you know exactly yeah. and so 
that can be taken right off the table. Then there's some type of data entry typically involved. So putting information into a quoting engine to be able to actually price it, putting it into a, you know, a CRM system. So we have a customer record and putting it into some type of clearance and registration system for compliance and regulatory and sanction purposes. So that takes a couple hours as well. Um, and then finally, in our experience, it's two different people. So there'd be like a technical underwriting assistant declining and doing data entry. And then an underwriter, just because the time is more valuable, doing the actual underwriting at the very tail end. And they'll spend ideally, you know, four hours on it if they can. Um, and sometimes still decline it. And so with our technology, at, we've been able to take that process down to minutes or seconds, actually, if, if there's an API, which we've seen many carriers start to offer. And the way it works is it's typically integrated into the back end of the portal or the email or both, which is about 93% of incoming submissions. Within 10 seconds, it's able to read all of the attachments, the email body, whatever you might have, extract two to 500 data points, which is typically more than they're actually using today, uh, run that against a rules-based engine, which is, you know, equivalent to the underwriting guidelines, which automatically declines. Um, and then it does the data entry into any systems necessary. And assuming that the quoting engine has an API, it can generate that quote and send it back to the consumer all within a couple seconds. Today, you, you know this, it takes hours, if not days, if not weeks to respond to an incoming request. Well, Maybe for the last question, what would you say to any kind of potential partners who are listening and uh, just to give you the last word on it? Yeah, um, you know, please, please do reach out. Uh, you can find us at chisel.ai, C-H-I-S-E-L.ai. Uh, on there, you can find a bunch of useful resources. We even if I would say this, like, f forget us. I would say get educated on artificial intelligence because there's a lot of vaporware in the market. And I hate to say that, but it's true. And I've heard people say this to me. So I, I think it's not my, my perspective individually. I would say it's, it's a consensus. Um, so get educated on the market. Figure out what you're looking for because AI can help you solve many things. It can be claims. It can be billing. It can be intake of submission. It can be policy check. Figure out where you want to start. Make sure you have a business case. Get the buy-in. Um, you know, just on the education part, we have a lot of really good content on our website, on our blog. Um, you can find what we call a buyer's guide. It's like a, a quite comprehensive document that walks you through the different types of AI, different problems it can solve. It actually has a checklist that you can go through to help you determine what type of AI you're looking for. And all of that is free. You don't have to buy anything from us. It's just thought leadership we want to put out there because, you know, we want to make sure that you we're doing right by you, whether or not we're your partner. Um, of course, we'd love to be your partner. Uh, so please do reach out to us. You can find a contact us form. You can read more about the different problems we solve specifically. Um, yeah. Great. And I'll make sure I link to everything in the show notes. Uh, but for now, thanks a million, Ron. Thank you so much. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn, and please visit our website, insuretechireland.org. See you next week.